The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. chapter 6, as you're turning there, I want, I want to kind of lay before you an observation that I've made. First of all, I want to, let's welcome everybody that's joining us online, too. I almost forgot about you guys. Tell them, let them know. You're glad that they're tuning in. I know our missionaries are probably going to be watching this a little bit later. We're so proud of you, excited for what you guys are doing. An observation that I have, I've noticed, that you probably have noticed, too, and I've seen it throughout the entirety of my life, from my adolescence through my, you know, kind of formative years, into my teenage years, into my 20s and my 30s, and now into my 40s, over and over again, I've seen this take place. There'll be something that I, I desire, something that I, I want to have. And I pursue it, and I get it, and then after I get it, I find that in getting it, getting it was not enough. Anybody relate to this? I mean, something that you've been pursuing, something you've been going after, Maybe it's, you know, I don't know, maybe it's a car, maybe it's a house, maybe it's shoes, maybe it's whatever kind of thing it may be, and you're pursuing it, and you, you want it, and you, you look at it, and you say, man, if I just had that, and then you get it, and, and when you get it, you find that, that the contentment, the joy that you thought you may get through it isn't there. In fact, you move kind of quickly on to the next thing. I've seen this over and over again. In fact, what I've noticed is a lot of times even in the pursuit of getting the thing after I get it, like while I'm getting it, I'm thinking about the next thing. Like I'll be like, you know, there's be a pair of shoes. I mean, you know, I like shoes. Be a pair of shoes that I want to get. I order the shoes. The shoes haven't even showed up yet. I've ordered them. They're on the way. And I'm already looking and thinking about the next pair of shoes I need to get or clothes or whatever it may be. Anybody relate to this? I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. We all do this. And, and if we're not careful, what can happen is there's this thing we want and in pursuit of it, we find ourselves moving very quickly past it to the next best thing that we want to have. And so Jesus here in these verses addresses this kind of idea. You know, Jesus, we're, we're in a series about the kingdom manifesto of Jesus. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus is laying out. Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, is laying out what his kingdom is all about. He's laying out what the purpose of his kingdom is, what the principles of his kingdom is, what the values and ethics of his kingdom are to people who he loves and cares about. And if you've been paying any attention over the past seven weeks, you've probably noticed that the principles and ethics and purposes of the kingdom of God are in stark contrast to the principles and ethics and purposes of the world. Anybody notice this? And today is going to be no different as Jesus addresses this issue of materialism and the things of this world. Look at this with me. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. We're going to read through all of this and then we'll begin to unpack it as we go through the message today. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves. In other words, don't make all your work, all your effort about doing this, about don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, the things of this earth, they can be damaged, they can be stolen, they can rot away like they, they don't last forever. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in Heaven. In other words, he's pointing us to an eternal reward where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I'll explain that here in just a little bit. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Somebody say no one. Look at the person beside you and say, you're someone. So no one, that means you, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal or devoted, some translations say, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus, in these verses, spends some time. In fact, 25% of what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount is related to the, the material possessions and things in this world. So Jesus spends some time talking about how we relate to things of this world, how we relate and, and where our heart is and, and, and this idea of how the things of this world can distract us from the purposes of God. And, and this is a big, like this is important, especially for us as Americans, because let's be real, there is a false gospel or another gospel that exists in the American world that we live in today, Right? And I say gospel loosely because gospel means good news. And this, this, this message is, is kind of, it looks like good news, but, but behind it, it's, it's a false gospel. It's false. And here it is. It's the gospel of materialism. It's the gospel of materialism. And the gospel of material, materialism says this, the more you have, the happier you will be. If you can just get enough stuff, you can get enough money, you can get enough things, then if you get those things, in those things, you're going to find some joy, you're going to find contentment, you're going to find happiness. This is the message that we see in the world all around us, but how many you know it, it ain't true? But for many people, we find ourselves practicing this way. In fact, I'll say it like this, for a lot of people, what keeps us from practicing the way of Jesus, which is what we're about here at New Song Church, right? We want to be disciples practicing the way, looking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, doing the kind of things that Jesus did. What keeps many of us from practicing the way of Jesus is we're actually practicing the way of materialism. So the gospel of materialism says this, it says, if you can just get that thing, then you're going to be really happy. You'll be much happier. Like you get that dress and then you're going to be a lot happier. You, you, you know, you cop those, those new Yeezys and then you're going to be a whole lot happier. Some of you are looking at me right now and going, what did he just say? That's, that's young people talk right there, okay? You get that, that car, like that car. Oh, if I could just have that car. I got a car, but my car, you know, my car just drives. But this car, whew, this car goes really fast. And this car, you know, you can hook it up to all your, your devices and it, it, it has all these different features in it. And and, and this car, like you could, if you, electricity goes out, you can plug this car into your house and this car will power your house. Like your car can't do that. And you see this, and you're like, I need that. I live in Oklahoma. Power goes out. I need, a, I need a car that can power my house. If I just had that, I'd be much happier. Or, or we think, oh man, if I could just get that house. And if I can get that house and I can fill it with all of the, the farm house, you know, kind of barn-esque doodads, like it will go from being a house to a real home feel like I'm out on the prairie, even though the other house next to me is six inches away. <laughs> we find ourselves buying into this gospel of materialism. And it says this, it's just, it, happiness is just one click away. Your happiness is just one, you know, 85 inch LED TV away. You can get, you, you get that, that boat, you start making that boat payment, get that boat, that bass slapper out on the lake, it's going to change your life. You'll be so much happier if you can just get 
this stuff. And so we think, yeah, if I can just get that. But, but how many of you know, like we all know you get it and it doesn't make you any happier. As soon as you get it, you just want the next thing. But I'm telling you, this is the religion of the day of the American people. Let me read you this quote. This guy says, in the Western world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. We find our meaning in this. Atheism, has replaced, atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity. Shopping has. For a lot of people, that's how we live. Like we find our identity in our stuff. My identity is in the car I drive, the shoes I wear, the guns I tote. Sorry. Some of you looking at me like, don't you talk about my guns. Calm down, people. Calm down. The country club I belong to, whatever it may be, we find our identity in this stuff. Listen, I want you to know something. God never, ever designed or created you to live where you find your identity in the stuff that you own. God designed you to find your identity in him, to find your purpose in him, that your heart would be about him and about his kingdom and his kingdom rule and business. Now, it, it hasn't always been this way. I mean, it has to a degree, but man, it's really ramped up over the past hundred years. Like obviously this was a thing because Jesus is talking about this 2000 plus years ago. But if you think about the world that we live in today, it's really in the past like 125 years that things have, have like drastically changed. Like 125 plus years ago, somewhere in there, like think about it, people were like churning their own butter. Like the, the main means of transportation was like a horse, a wagon, not that long ago. Like you look at the grand scheme of all of the thousands of years, all this has taken place in the past hundred and something years. We went from like, like 90%, just check this out. Just a hundred years ago, 90% of, of people in the world were farming in some way. <laughs> you had like your own chickens and you, you know, you had to milk your own cows and and how you got stuff, like the stuff that you had, how you got it was you would like trade and barter with the people around you or you would make it yourself. But man, it has changed today, hasn't it? Technology and all the things that we, we have now, like we live in such a different world. And it started about 100 years ago with these two world wars that took place. And out of these world wars came the industrial revolution and this industrial complex that was driven by these, these rich tycoons that were running these factories that said, okay, now we got to keep these factories going because this is producing so much. And, and so now we need to sell this consumerism to the American people and get these soldiers coming back from war and these, the workforce attached to this idea of all this stuff that they need to have that's coming hot off of our assembly lines. This guy named Paul Meiser, who was a major part of this, an investment banker from New York, said this, we must shift America from a needs-based culture to a desires-based culture. People must be trained, notice this, they must be trained to desire, to want new things even before the old thing hasn't been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And it's, it's out of this that marketing begins to totally shift in America. And it shifts from being about the product to about how the product makes you feel, how the product can make you happier, how the product will make you better. And this, this new gospel of materialism is being preached, and man, Americans buy into it like crazy. I read some statistics this week. 
Some of these are crazy. The amount Americans spend in a single weekend of shopping is more than half of the total they give to the churches in an entire year. So check this out. In two weekends of shopping, regular shopping, we are spending as much as the entirety of all of the churches in America are bringing in for an entire year. All this money going towards stuff, things. The amount that we spend on shoes, watches, and jewelry alone totals $100 billion. Despite making up just 3% of the global population of children, Americans consume, American kids consume 40% of the world's toys. Homes in the U.S. contain more TVs than they do people. Some of you right now are going, how many TVs do I have around? Mark Twain, I, I love this quote. He said, civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. <laughs> and here's, here's the sad thing, is that we're not any happier. In fact, we're unhappier. They're finding every year people are less happy than they were the year before. All of this technology, all of these new things, all these cool doodads that are coming out, none of them are actually making us any happier. Our happiness is actually decreasing. So this idea that more stuff is going to make you happier, more money is going to lead to more happiness, listen, it's a lie. In fact, Princeton University did this research with, a, with, with Gallup, and they, they, they looked at all these different people. They had 450,000 points of reference that they looked through, a lot of research, and they discovered this. They discovered that your emotional well-being, your happiness, is as good as it's ever going to get at $75,000 a year. If you make more than $75,000 a year, you don't get any happier just because you're making more money. It's like there's a ceiling on how much your stuff and your money can actually bring happiness into your life. So, so listen, more money and with it more stuff, more possessions, more materials will make you happier is a lie, people. It ain't true. The gospel of materialism is lying to you. And so here's Jesus 2,000 years ago before all this data was done, before all this was known, because he's God and he knows the truth, we have him addressing this issue, knowing that someday there would be people living in America like we are today, and addressing how we are to look at and deal with these material things. And so he speaks this truth, because that's what, if you haven't noticed, the gospel of the Sermon on the Mount is all about dealing with the heart issues. So he's dealing with the heart issue related to materialism so that we can be free. There's three things I notice here. The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Heart is where your treasure is. Heart is where your treasure is. Matthew 6, verse 19, again, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, this. He starts off by saying, hey, quit making your life just about trying to get this material stuff that can be stolen away, that can rot away, and that ain't going with you. You heard that term before? You, don't, you can't take it with you. Like, it really is true. Billy Graham had this quote. He said, you'll never see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse <laughs> because you, you can't take it with you. Someday, just so you know, when you die, all your stuff 
is going to be here. And it's going to get divided up between, you know, your kids. And they say that a lot of what's going to happen is your kids are going to throw a bunch of your stuff away. Like it's, you can't take it with you. The, the Egyptians thought you could. Remember that? The, the pharaohs, they, they built these big tombs and they filled them full of their treasures. They were called the pyramids. What ended up happening? All that stuff just ended up in the hand of thieves and and now it's in museums with museum curators. Like they, none of them got to have it. They don't have it today. They, they dead, okay? And someday you're gonna be dead and you don't get to take this material stuff with you. The only thing you get to take with you are the lives of people, spirits that you invested in here in this earth. And so that's the idea is that, is that don't lay up for yourself these earthly treasures. You're to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, which is interesting. The idea here is Jesus is saying, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Like we have the ability and how we live our life here on this earth, how we invest in the earthly kingdom of this world, being about God's business, we have the ability to build towards the eternity that we'll all experience. You know, you're not all gonna experience the same heaven. Like you, we're all going to the same heaven, but how you experience it, what you're gonna have, there are re eternal rewards that we are building. Like some people are gonna have more than other people because of how they live, because of the level of obedience they walked into what God was saying, how they obeyed him, how they honored his word, what they did with what he gave them, it makes a difference. And so Jesus says, hey, take your eyes off this stuff, quit trying to make it all about this stuff and lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And then he says, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And notice how he says it. He doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. It's funny, this week, as I was studying this, I, I typed this into Google and I was just kind of seeing, you know, different quotes and different things that were up. And I noticed that every quote about your treasure and your heart that did not have the Bible in it, had it reversed. It said where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. And that's what we think, that if my heart is into something, my treasure will just automatically be there. But that's not what God says. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says it, it, it has to do with what you see as important. Your treasure goes to what you value. And so your heart finds its home in what you really value. And this is a big deal because we've talked about this before at New Song Church. The heart represents a source of your life, right? It, it's your heart that sources blood throughout your body. And that body empowers you to do what you're, you're called to do. It helps your mind to be sharp. It helps you have energy and strength. So, so if your heart is, is sourced by the wrong stuff as a believer, this is talking about this, this heart of yours, it's going to source you with the wrong stuff in your life. The, the word Jesus uses for heart here is this word that means, check this out, the fountain and seat of thoughts, passions, desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors, the fountain and seat of understanding and intelligence. Okay, so get this. If our heart is in the things of this world, then our heart is sourced by the things of this world because where your treasure is, your heart will be. So if we treasure the things of this world, our heart is sourced by those things. And so what that means is our heart is of the world. And so what our purpose and our endeavors and our passions and our appetites are all about the things of this world. And, and our understanding and our enlightenment comes from the things of this world. And how many know like we look at the world sometimes and you see what's going on in the world outside of the church and how people think. And sometimes you're going, what are people thinking? Like what is, how do these people not see how off this is, how crazy this is? You know why? Because they're blind. 
They're living in darkness. They're, they're not illuminated by the light of God. They don't understand the truth. They can't see it. They don't understand it because they're, they're about this world. So their wisdom is of this world. Everything is from this world. But the good news is if you, if you, you choose to make your light of the kingdom of God, your life of the kingdom of God, your, your heart becomes sourced by the kingdom of God. And so now the endeavors of your life are about the kingdom of God, the passions of your life, your purpose, everything that you're doing comes from the kingdom of God. And listen, your understanding and your enlightenment comes from God. And that's why you can see things clearly and you understand. So the, so the key is we've got to fix our eyes on the right stuff, to fix our heart on the right stuff. Our heart has to be about what God treasures. That's the question for you. Do you treasure what God treasures? Do you treasure his word? Do you treasure prayer? Do you treasure uh, people who are away from God? Lost people, do you see them? Instead of seeing them as the problem, do you see them as the prize? Do you, do you treasure and value what God treasures? Because your heart is going to be where your treasure is. Here's the second thing we see. Jesus says, what you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. Or in other words, what you're looking at is going to lead to the illumination of your life. Look at what he says. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. Now, uh, what does a lamp do? You go in a room, you turn on a lamp, it brings light to the environment, doesn't it? You guys know what a lamp is, right? Okay, go, just checking, because everybody's looking at me like, lamps? Yeah, lamps. You turn it on, it brings light, okay? Jesus is saying, what, like, the lamp is the body, uh, the body's the eye. So what's going on in your eye is illuminating your life. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. So if you're looking at the right stuff, if you're looking at what God calls good, then it's going to illuminate the entirety of your life. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be in darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, if you have a lamp in your house and you turn it on, and when you turn it on, it makes things darker, that's a bad lamp, <laughs> right? <laughs> like that's, that's not working as it should. But for some of us, because our attention is set on the wrong stuff, what should be bringing illumination to our life is actually bringing more darkness to our life. This is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying like when he talks about your eye, he's not talking about your physical eye. He's talking about your discernment. He's talking about your ability to see in this world what really is important and what really matters. In fact, the word he uses for, uh, for, for eye here has double meaning. Part of the meaning is that there's an intentionality to what you're looking at, to what you're focusing on. The second thing is out of that intentionality comes this understanding that you're here to meet the needs of those who are in need. So that we have an eye that says, I'm intentional with what I'm looking at. And I can meet the, and, and through that, we see the needs of the world that God has called us as his people to meet those needs. We're called to be salt and light, to bring illumination to the darkness. It's a dark world and we're called to be the light in this world. But what a lot of us do is we get so focused on darkness because we look at the world, we look at these material things. We say, oh, I need this. And we, we focus on that. And out of that, we become stingy. And instead of seeing the people of this world and saying, I want to have an open hand to you to bless you and to help you and to be used by God the way I'm supposed to be because we're so focused on the things of this world, we become tight-fisted and clench, and, and, and clench our, our goods and our, our, our away from other people and keep from blessing other people. 
It ought not be, church. God's called us to be people who bring light. So what you see is what you get. If what you're looking at, if what you're focusing on, if, if, if your life is just about building this little kingdom here in this world, creating some kind of nice little thing for yourself here in this world, I'm telling you, there's a darkness to that that's going to keep you from being who God's called you to be and functioning in the kingdom the way he's called you to function. But if you'll choose to say, God, I'm going to be about what you're about, your business. I'm going to look at the light of what you've called me to do. God will bless you and allow you to be someone through which he can bless other people. So what you see is what you get. And here's the third thing. Somebody say, this is good stuff. I'm not saying much, but this is good stuff. It's good stuff. Number three, he says, you get to choose your master. Choose your master. Look at this. Matthew 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Someone say no one. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Notice the contrast. Like it's not like you can kind of be devoted to one and still be connected with the other. If you're devoted to one, you're going to hate the other. Or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Notice a couple of words here. Master and serve. Masters and serve. Okay, so, so hopefully you understand this. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, like just think about that phrase. Jesus is the Lord of your life. What does that mean? That means he's the master. That means he's the boss. That means that he gets to make the calls. That means that it's not about like, okay, Jesus, you're my savior and I'm going to do my thing and you're going to bless it. That's not it. It's Jesus, you're my Lord and I'm going to live not my will be done, but your will be done through my life. This is discipleship 101. I'm, I'm here to bring about your purposes in your kingdom. That's why I'm here. So, so Jesus is your master and it's out of that that God can use you in a powerful way to affect this world and bring about his kingdom. So the enemy... Understand, he hates this. And he wants to do everything he can to keep you from making Jesus the true Lord, the true master of your life. Because he knows what kind of damage that's going to do to his agenda. His agenda is what? To steal, kill, and destroy. And if you're living and making Jesus the master of your life, you are going to do damage to that kingdom. And so he's going to try to do whatever he can to give you an alternative master. Now, listen... The alternative master that he presents to you is not him. (laughs) Like he's not trying to turn you into a Satanist. Because a lot of us are going to go, I'm not going to like, you know, kill goats and that kind of stuff. We're not going to do that, right? So he doesn't try to sell you on that. But he'll try to sell you on whatever he can. See, here's the thing. Satan doesn't care what the master is so long as the master is not Jesus. So he'll put anything in front of you. And, and, and the chief thing that he uses, Jesus addresses here. So like Jesus in, in scripture, we see Jesus talking about Satan and talking about, him and, and, and talking about him as being a ruler of this world, a God of this world. But when Jesus talks about two alternatives that we can have as the master of our life, he doesn't say you'll either serve God or you'll serve Satan. He says you'll either serve God or you'll serve mammon. Why? Because mammon is the thing that can keep us and pull us away from serving God and giving God all that he wants of us, making him first in our life. So what's mammon becomes the question then. Well, mammon, um, that word mammon means several things. It means uh, your money, your wealth, your possessions. But beyond that, it means that in which one trusts. That in which one trusts. 
This word mammon comes from, at the time when Jesus was sharing this, the people would have understood this word better than we do today. Mammon was a a Syrian god that was the god of wealth, the god of riches. And the Syrians came from the Babylonians. And if you remember, you go back, we have in the Babylonian group, we have the Tower of Babel. You guys remember that story? What happens in the Tower of Babel? You got this group of people and they say to themselves, we are going to get ourselves to heaven. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it in our own strength, with our own energy, in our own ways, with our own materials. And this is the spirit of mammon that the enemy tries to get onto us. It's this idea that I can get myself to my own idea of heaven through my materials, through my energy, through my wisdom, through my stuff, I can find, I can achieve this idea of heaven on earth. If I can just get enough stuff through my materials, I can arrive at heaven. And if we're not careful as people, like we can buy into this idea where our possessions become that in which we trust. And instead of walking by faith and trusting in God, we end up walking in faith in our stuff, walking in faith in our money, in our possessions, and that is the God in which we trust. So understand, like Satan is trying to, to, to put this spirit of mammon on you. He wants to get it on you. He wants to get you to buy into this. And so he'll do whatever he can to get you to buy into it. And one of the things he does with it is he makes promises. Like think about the promises of like more money. If I have more money, I'll be happier. I just have more money, be happier. If I had more money, I'd have more security. If I had more money, I'd have more power. Like people really listen to me if I had more money. If I had more money. But how many of you know, you get more stuff, you get more money, and it never leads, like it never, like it's always, it never fulfills what it says it will do. In fact, it's interesting. They've done survey after survey asking people, how much money would you need to be happy? And you know what people always answer? Double. So if someone's making 30000 a year, they'll say 60000 a year. If someone's making 60000 they say, oh, I'd be really happy if I was making one hundred and twenty. If someone's making one hundred and twenty, I'd be really happy if I was making two hundred and forty. So here, here's the problem. There's always double. <laughs> there's always double. No matter how good you're doing, there's always double. But, but God never designed us. He never created us to find our happiness, our joy, our contentment in being able to double what we're making. He, he wants us to find it in Him. See, only God, truly, only God can lead you to a place where you find contentment, where you find true joy, where you find true happiness, true peace, where you're able to, to really understand what it looks to walk in the power of God. That only comes through God. So, so get this, get this, church. Money is not the answer. It's not. In fact, you think about it. Jesus, when he was here on this earth, Jesus never, like, we don't see a situation where Jesus said, you know what? Give that guy some cash. <laughs> like you never see someone coming up, have mercy on me. And Jesus is like, Peter, give him a hundo. Let's go. <laughs> Why? Because money wasn't the answer to people. What people needed, what they needed, they needed Jesus. They needed the touch of a living, loving God. They needed something supernatural. That was the answer, and it still remains the answer today. So, so mammon is trying to get on you. It's trying to steal you away from God, steal your energy, steal your, your, your focus away from God. And so how do we deal with this? Like, What do we do as people to make sure that our heart is in the right place, 
our treasure's in the right place, so our heart's in the right place, to make sure that, that we're not like, you know, spending everything on trying to attain, like breaking this spirit of materialism off of us. How, how, do, we, how do we deal with this, with this issue? Well, I've heard it said before, a generous man has a generous plan. And we serve a generous God. Somebody say amen. amen. Say it like you mean it. Amen. amen. God is a generous God. And so because God is a generous God, he has a generous plan to help us with this, to help us to put money in its right place, to help us prove lordship to him and commitment to him, to show that he is first and to keep him at first in our life. And this plan that he has, this strategy that God created is called the tithe. And we see the tithe all over the Bible, but the place we see it the most is in Malachi chapter three. Let me read you some verses here. Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is a picture of the church that there may be food in my house. In other words, that there may be a supply that can come out of my house to help others. Test me in this. This is God talking. Test me in this. The only time in scripture we see God saying, hey, put me to the test on something. This is it right here. Test me in this. Says, and I love the way God addresses himself. Says the Lord Almighty. Like he kind of flexes a little bit. Test me in this. Boom. Like that's God. Okay. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there may not be room enough to store it. Now, if you're new to church, uh, tithe means tenth. That's like literally what it means is tenth. And the tithe, here's the simplest way I know how to explain it. Tithe means for every dollar you give a dime. So for, for, for what, everything that you make, 10%, you return to God. And notice he, Jesus says, or the Bible says when it talks about this, it says bring the tithe. He doesn't say give it because you can't give it because it ain't yours, right? You're bringing it back to God. The Bible says that, the, that and you really think about this, this is like super generous of God. God owns everything. I hope you know that. Like he owns everything. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. You say, well, you know, I've kind of made my own way. Yeah, and you did it with the brain God gave you, okay? So no matter where you find yourself, everything you have came from God. And God could ask you to give everything to him. He could ask you to give him 90% and you only get to keep 10. But he doesn't do that. He's a generous God. And so he asks you to bring to him 10% back. And, and bring because you can't give what doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to you. Like if you brought, if I, if I let you borrow my car and you know, you, you brought it and you brought it back to me and you hand me my car keys and you say, Hey, I want to give you this car. I'm going to be like, no, you're just giving me back what's mine. Right. That's what the tithe, that's what the tithe is. It's us returning to God, what he's blessed to us and being obedient to what he's asking us to do. And so what's, what's beautiful about it is God doesn't ask for amount. He asks for a ratio because the ratio is the same for everybody. Like if God asked for an amount, like let's say God said, okay, everyone, you got to bring $100,000 every year. Then some of us would be like, whoa, I, I, I can't. Some of you are like, yeah, I think I could swing that. But for some of us, we can't. So it's not, it's not an amount, it's a ratio because a ratio is the same no matter who you are. If you don't have much, and listen, I, sometimes we think like, well, I don't make very much. Well, well, listen, if you don't get this when you don't make much, you'll never get much. Like, I'm so grateful. My parents and my church taught me this. I got this as, at a young age, and I have never struggled with it a day in my life. I used to tithe off my birthday cards as a kid. Like, well, I got this because it all belongs to God. Everything comes from him. And so I got it. And, and, and what God teaches us is if you do it, then I will bless the rest. I'll bless the rest. But if you don't, you actually position yourself for a curse. 
Let me show you this. The verses before, Matthew, uh, Malachi 3, verse 8. He says, begin by being honest. Does an honest person rob God? But you rob me day after day. You ask, how have we robbed you? The tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. Now listen, I'm not saying, like, I don't want you to get this idea of God as like a mafia boss. And it's like God's in heaven going, you better return to me what I'm telling you to. If you don't pay up, I'm going to break your thumbs. Like, that's not God. Okay? That's not what he's saying. The curse that you enter into is not a curse that comes from God. It's a curse that you put on yourself because you align yourself with the wrong system. See, there's two kingdoms that are existing right now. There's the kingdom of God and there's a kingdom of darkness. And when you choose to tithe, what you're doing is you're aligning yourself with God's way of doing things and you step out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and you receive the blessing. But when you choose not to do it, you're remaining in the kingdom of darkness and you come under the curse that exists in this world. And you keep yourself from God being able to do what he wants to do, to bless you, to help you. So, so here's what it boils down to. You can either live with 100% of what you have under a curse, or you can live with 90% blessed by God. I don't know about you, but I, I know that God can do more with my 90% than I could ever do under a curse with 100% on my own. And one of the ways he redeems you from the curse is he redeems you from this spirit of mammon. By giving, you're able to break this idea of materialism off of you because you're not living by a system that says, I'm trying to get to heaven in my own strength. You're saying, God is my way to heaven and I do things his ways and I trust him with all my life and lean not on my own understanding. So you say, Josh, I don't buy it. Sorry, dude, just don't buy it. I believe that we're just, to, you know, that's old school and that we just, I just want to give the way you know, I feel led to give. That's how I'm going to do it. Okay, let's play a game. This game is called, What If I'm Wrong? And we'll start with me, okay? What if I'm wrong? And I'm not, but what if I'm wrong? <laughs> so so let, me, let, me, let me kind of throw out some stuff real quick. First of all, let's throw out the fact that the only time Jesus talks about the tithe in the New Testament, he actually endorses it. Let's throw that out. Let's throw out the fact that really there's nowhere in the New Testament where God says he does away with tithing. Let's, let's just not consider that. Um, I, I won't consider my experiences that I've had in my life where I've seen God bless me over and over and over again through this. Um, I'll throw out all of the experiences I've heard from, from some of you in this room who were struggling and then began to do this and saw the blessing of God uh, come on your life. If that's you, say amen. Amen. I'll throw all that out. And let's also, I'll also throw out, I'm a pastor, so I get to see this. I'll throw out the fact that a lot of those people who tell me they don't tithe and they're just going to give of their own freedom, that they actually never give a dime. I'll throw that out as well. So what if I'm wrong? I'm not, but what if I'm wrong? If I'm wrong, I'm going to get to heaven someday because this is not an issue that's going to keep you from heaven. So I'm going to get to heaven someday and I'm going to stand before Almighty God and he's going to look at me and he's say, hey, Josh, that tithing thing, you had that wrong. But... Because you were generous and you gave. And you were a part of the principle that's all throughout the scripture, which is the principle of giving, of sowing and reaping. Because you were willing to be a giver, even though you, you didn't quite get it right, you got it right because you were a giver. And because of your giving, I was able to bless you. I was able to do some stuff for you, and I was able to do some stuff through you. 
And I've got a, a great reward for you that I want you to enter into. But first of all, let me introduce you to some of this reward. Come over here. I want you to meet this person. It's because of your giving that they're here, that they're in heaven right now. Because, because you gave, because you tithe, because you were a person who was willing to give of your finances and, and show lordship of your life in every area of your life. This person is here in heaven. Great is your reward. Enter into your eternal reward. I don't know about you, but I'm okay with that. Like if I'm wrong, I'm still kind of right. And so I, I, I dig that. I dig that. But if you're wrong, if you're wrong, you're going to get to heaven and God's going to look at you and he's going to say, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. I love you. But there was more I wanted to do with you. There was more I wanted to do for you. And there's more I wanted to do through you, but I, but I couldn't. So I actually had to take some of what I wanted to do for you and do through you, and I had to give it to this person over here who proved themselves faithful in all areas of their life. And I, I sourced what I want, because I'm going to get done, I was going to get done what I wanted to get done. I wanted to use you, but because you wouldn't be faithful, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't worship me in every area of your life, I had, to, I had to use them instead. But there's still a reward for you, and, and here you go, you can, you can enter into it now. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on that side of the equation. Now listen, I know, I know I'm being kind of bold with you, but I'm being bold because I believe in what I'm talking about. Like, I, I'm not afraid to talk about this because I've seen it. And, and I also want you to know something. I'm not trying to get something from you. I actually, I'm doing this because I know God has something for you. And I also want to say this. We are a generous church. Like, I'm not up here. Yeah, like, this is, this is the Sermon on the Mount. I'm preaching through it. And God led, this is what God led me in. And I'm not doing this because the giving's down. I'm trying to, I'm not doing that. In fact, we're, we're in the process of building this building right now. And we've gone to lenders and we're working with some, some banks and different organizations that help churches to just kind of get ourselves positioned to move ahead and all this. And they're looking at our finances and they're going, this is amazing. You guys have such a generous church. So listen, I want to commend you. You are a generous church. So many of you have been so faithful and so generous. And I commend you for that. But there's some of you that maybe you didn't, you've never gotten this before. And I want you to get it. Like there's young people in the room. I got this when I was young. It changed my life. I want you to get it. There's some of you that have never really put God to the test in this. And I want you to get it because it matters. It matters what God wants to do in you. It matters. God, there's a spirit in this world that's trying to get on you. And, the, and God wants to break that off of you. And one of the ways he breaks it off of you is through this incredible, incredible tool he's given us of being able to prove our faithfulness to God and put him first. There, there's no area of my life that's off limit to God's. Like, I hope that's how you live. I hope there's not an area where you're like, well, God is the God of everything except this. This is the one area I gotta kind of keep control of. Because any area God's not Lord of, God's not Lord of it. Like, he can't bless it, he can't help it. So I'm telling you, this is the best way to live. You say, but Josh, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, a lot of what's in the, the Sermon on the Mount doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to love your enemies. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to turn the other cheek. Like, this stuff doesn't make sense. But if it makes sense to God, listen, it makes perfect sense. And it, it's a beautiful thing. I love being a tither. Like, I, I, I love it. Because I, I'm constantly reminded of where my heart is. Every time I give, every time I tithe, I'm reminded my heart is for God. And you know what? God sees that. Every time I give, it reminds God where my heart is. Every time I give, it reminds the enemy where my heart is. So, so we trust in the Lord with all our heart, right? We lean not on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what will he do? He'll make your path straight. 
Listen, God, God wants your God wants to, you to get this because God's after your heart. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.